31,000, 45,000, the story of two trains of French resistance. A podcast by Mathieu Landor-Engel. Marie-Jeanne Bauer, 31,651. The last 31,000. Today is a day in February 1945, and Marie-Jeanne Bauer gets out of the Riviere. The camp has changed a great deal. It is quiet, mostly empty. Some buildings have been destroyed, either by explosions or self-detonations. But most importantly, the camp is run by the Russian army. Auschwitz was liberated on the 27th of January 1945. Marie-Jeanne Bauer was freed and she missed it. Back in 1942, Marie-Jeanne and her husband, Jean-Claude, were arrested during the Picadras investigation. Like Charlotte German, Marie-Jeanne and the others, she saw her husband before his execution. It was one of the hardest moments in her life. She tried to remain hopeful. He told her that Russia would eventually come and save her. In Birkenau, Marie-Jeanne worked as a nurse, just like in France. The conditions were terrible. Marie-Jeanne did her best, yet her best couldn't do much with the lack of water medicine or equipment. She took care of Marcel Fuglesang, but she lost too much hope. She told her she didn't believe in anything anymore since she was here. Marie-Jeanne contracted typhus. Just like her patients, she had to lie down and hope for the typhus to go. Just like her patients, she suffered. She saw things which weren't. People who weren't there corpses lying next to her, shadows of friends she treated, yet were selected to the gas chambers. When she woke up, a quarantine had started for the 31,000. Marie-Jeanne didn't see much of it. She felt sick once more and was sent to the Riviere again. And once more. Someone woke her up, a 31,000. She told Marie-Jeanne, the last 31,000 were to be evacuated. But Marie-Jeanne was to stay. She was still sick and Ravensbrück simply wouldn't allow her to get in. Back to the present, Marie-Jeanne wakes up. The place has changed entirely. She missed the explosion of the crematoriums on the 20th of January, the destruction of the evidences, she wasn't awake as the guards ran away and left the camp, sealing it, hoping the last prisoners would starve to death before the Russians arrived. She was still asleep when the first Russian soldiers looked at the prisoners, confused as to what this place was, a little scared even. They left at first. They wanted to make sure the German soldiers went too close. They came back, eventually, opened the gates, gathered the prisoners in Auschwitz and closed Birkenau so they could manage everyone. The place was just too big, 
and there were still a lot of prisoners remaining, mostly the sickest ones, those who couldn't be evacuated. The Russian soldiers didn't understand what they were saying. What kind of camp was Auschwitz? How could prisoners be in such a terrible state of hunger, of hygiene, of sickness? And why were some buildings destroyed with dynamite and not others? Back to the present, Marie-Jeanne is awake and happy. Her husband was right, the Russians have come to save her. Now, even though she had lost her right eyesight, she wanted to stand, to walk and to thank her saviors. She's doing it for herself, as well as for all the other 31,000. After all, she is the last 31,000 in Auschwitz now. She meets Eugène Garnier. He's still here, euphoric about the liberation, confused about all the friends he lost. Back in December, the International Resistance Committee attempted a series of escapes. It failed. Many friends of Eugène were tortured and died. But Eugène stayed. He kept on helping, and now they are all free, finally. A couple of nights later, a Russian soldier gets drunk. He has just learned that his entire family was killed by German soldiers. There is an anger that needs to get out of his body, and alcohol seems to be helping. He sees Marie-Jeanne in the distance, and for some reason, he is convinced she is a German woman. It makes him lose all sense. He shoots her in the chest. Marie-Jeanne goes to the rivière. The doctors attempt to save her. The bullet went through her body, around the aorta. It miraculously avoided the heart and the lungs. She survives. She wakes up, with only one working eye and a hole in the chest. Soldiers ask her if she wants her assailant judged. She says, it doesn't matter. She doesn't need him to be judged. The war just ended for her. Now what? What is happening now? Thank you for listening to this episode of 31,000-45,000, the story of two trains of French members of the Resistance. My name is Mathieu Landour-Engel. This episode was about Marie-Jeanne Bauer, the last 31,000 of Auschwitz-Birkenau. Let me give you a few more information about the liberation of Auschwitz. The evacuation lasted for a few months, transferring most of the prisoners to camps further west. Then, as the Red Army continued its progress, Decisions were made to destroy evidences related to the extermination functions of the camp. Documents were burnt, the barracks referred as Canada. Those containing the prisoners' properties were burnt as well. As for the gas chambers and crematoria, they were either dismantled or destroyed with explosives, or both. The SS intended to kill the remaining 9,000 prisoners who were too sick or exhausted to join the evacuations. They managed to kill 700 prisoners before on the 20th and 21st of January they left in a hurry. 
For a few days, the situation was confusing as the camp was unguarded, yet SS and Wehrmacht units were patrolling still around the camp. We can speculate that the intention was to let the remaining prisoners starve to death. Fortunately, the Soviet army arrived. The 60th Army of the 1st Ukrainian Front opened the gates on the 27th of January 1945 after combat securing the area. 230 Soviet soldiers died during those combats and around 7,500 prisoners were freed, including Marijan Bauer. A film was made chronicling the liberation of the camp. That film is still shown at the museum nowadays. The prisoners were treated in clean wards, fed gradually to regular rations because feeding them right away regular rations could have been dangerous for their health. Marie-Jeanne Bauer survived. It took her a very long time to come back to France. She arrived in Gare du Nord on the 15th of July 1945, so it took almost six months. Like many deported prisoners, she struggled to readapt herself in the citizen life. My sources for this story mostly come from the book Red Triangles in Auschwitz by Claudine Cardon-Amet, Le Convoi du 24 Janvier by Charlotte Delbo, A Train in Winter by Caroline Moorhead, the website Mémoire Vive, the Foundation for the Memory of Deportation website, the Metron website, and the fantastic website Auschwitz.org. Thank you very much for your attention. Next episode will be about Charlotte de Coq and another plane bombing. Thirty-one thousand, forty-five thousand. The story of two trains of French resistance. A podcast by Mathieu Landor Engel. <laughs>